I'm going to start off by sharing a personal story with you this morning. And um, there's always the caution of sharing personal stories. And so I want to kind of put a warning label once again on, on this is before I begin. You might be tempted to, when you hear my story, to go into the fix-it mode. <laughs> um, and I, w- I would encourage you to kind of avoid that pitfall this morning, but rather to search your heart. And as I'm telling my story, examine your hearts and wonder, you know, where am I kind of been like Scott in this regard? Last year for my 42nd birthday, Christy and I were going away to up to uh, uh, Sun Mountain Lodge to spend some time together away, and she was celebrating my birthday with me. And on that journey, Christy and I were having kind of a rough conversation, and there was just kind of this realization that I needed to start taking better care of my health. Um... And, and I've watched, I mean, Pastor Fast and, and, and Baptist Church we went to in Longmont, Colorado. You know, I've watched a lot of pastors not take care of their, their bodies, and they've grown quite heavy. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take better care of my body. And I, so I told Christian, I was like, I think I kind of feel like that I need to really focus on that this year and, and do that. And, and so I did. I came home from that, and Christian and I got through the holiday season. In January, I started hard at it. And... I lost, I don't know if you knew this, but last, by last May, I'd lost 40 pounds. And I was doing what's called the ketogenic diet. Some of you may be familiar. It's basically eat meat and cheese, okay? Lots of meat, meat and cheese. And, uh, and unfortunately, um, and you, I don't mean to be disgusting, but your, your pee smells, and not only your pee smells, but you, you start emitting a body odor, a certain body odor when you've been on that diet for, for a good amount of time. And my lovely wife, and please understand this, she, she comes to me in the most wonderful and loving of ways. She's, Scott, I love you. But the odor that you're, like, it's coming out of you, um, I just, it's, it's hard for me to, like, want to draw really close to you when you smell like that. Um, and my response, so instead of, like, hearing my wife's heart, um, I got angry and outside. I weighed 229 pounds at that point. Last Sunday, I weighed in at 270 pounds. Why? What happened? I had a problem when it comes to food, and it's not a joke. Instead of going to God when I'm faced with a struggle, when I'm, my wife comes to me with that and I'm struggling with that emotion, instead of going to God and God reminding me of who he is and who, how my wife loves me, I turn to food and say, I'm going to comfort myself with this. And I did, repetitively, 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 to the point where, yeah, the clothes were not fitting well, and I was, I, you know, according to the BMI, I'm obese. And so I, my wife and I came together and lovingly came up with a diet that we works for both of us, and we started that last week. Why do I share that with you? Why well, come and tell you this this morning? It's not so that you'll pity me, and it's not so that you'll feel sorry for me, but it's, it's so that this morning you might understand that your pastor has a problem with idols. And I don't think I'm alone 
in this struggle with idols. You see, we're going to talk about something this morning. And Daniel chapter 3 should, the beginning of Daniel chapter 3 should, should come as a bit of surprise to us. Because in Daniel chapter 2, it ends with Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he tells him, a rock, not cut by human hands, a.k.a. the one true God, is going to come blazing down and crush this statue. And, and, and your head, the, the head of that statue, is representative of Babylon. And Daniel told him also that an inferior kingdom is going to destroy his kingdom, right? And so God causes this rock to smash this statue, this image to bits, so much so that the particles become a fine dust and are blown away in the wind. And so you would think that Nebuchadnezzar's confession, what he states that truly, Daniel, your God is the one true God, this wonderful proclamation statement where Daniel seems to be convicted about who God is, we see at the beginning of Daniel chapter 3, he is not converted to following after God. Though he's convicted, he's, he's not converted. Daniel opens chapter 4 up with King Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders of the Most High God has done for me. Excuse me, am I Daniel? I'm Daniel chapter 4. I apologize, Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Oh my goodness, right there out of the gate. Wait, he did what? Did he not just have this dream that so deeply disturbed him? And what does he do? He builds an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth was six cubits. And those of you who are not good with cubit geometry, it's 90 feet by nine feet wide, 90 feet tall by nine feet wide. Really tall, very narrow statue. And he set it up in the plain of Dura. And if you, Genesis 11, chapter 2, chapter 11, verse 2, we read that in the plain of, of this region, the Tower of Babel was established and was built. A place where people said that we can reach God. What does Nebuchadnezzar do now? In the same area, he is building this image. Now, what is the image? We don't know. Some people that have argued it's an image of himself. You know, if you study ancient Near Eastern history, you realize that that's probably not likely, but everything points to in worshiping this image is to worship Nebuchadnezzar. And how do we know that? Well, as we read through this text, you're going to read 11 different times in this text. It, the establishment, the making and setting up of that idol, that image, was done by Nebuchadnezzar. He is credited for it over and over again, 11 times. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces, just in case anybody was left out, to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, 
You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. There were some Scots there. Or Irish. Could have been Irish pipes as well. And you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Wow, that's a lot of repetition. This is an extremely religious event. When I read through this story, you know what it reminded me of? The National Day of Prayer and what it's become in D.C. The right people are there. Presidents, vice presidents, cabinet members, Congress. They're gathered. Every religion represented. Muslim prayers, Buddhist prayers, all being said on this national day of prayer. A gathering together of all the right people with just the right instruments and everything placed together and, and this, this, this religious service is conducted. Breaks my heart. It also can be very much like days in which, you know, in the military, I'm sensitive to this, like Pearl Harbor, where people go and they make, you know, travel to Pearl Harbor on certain days and they pay homage to those that have fallen. And there's the band there, there's the right generals there, there's the right spokesmen, the congressmen and congressmen and women again, the, the presidents all gather together on certain days to commemorate and remember these events. And, and it's, it's almost like a religious event taking place. 9-11 can even become this as well. And, and, and the pride days that take place within our nation. A religious event taking place as Nebuchadnezzar calls all people to bow down and to worship this image, but most importantly, worship him. Now, it's very interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, as a ruler, doesn't really, doesn't really care if the people like him. He doesn't really care to, to the people love him. He, he doesn't care to be in relationship with the people that he's leading. He just wants them to worship him. What a great contrast compared to the one true God who enters into relationship with us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his son to die upon the cross and rise again on the third day so that we might be called the children of God. We might be made righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. And God just doesn't do that. It is so amazing that God sends us his spirit. We read about this in John 14 and John 15, John 16, where, where Jesus is telling that I'm going to leave so that the helper can come. And God empowers us with the Holy Spirit so that we might walk with God every single day. Can you imagine what the Holy Spirit sees on a daily basis? As he walks through life in us, with us, but he doesn't depart us. 
Some of you here this morning may have a hard time making connection with this idea of bowing down before a 90 foot by 9 foot image. Anybody worship an idol at all lately? No, it's not something we normally do, unless you may have come from a Buddhist background. And we do have some people that have come out of a Buddhist background where they may have actually gone to prayer services where they would have bowed down before these golden images of Buddha and other things. Or maybe even a Catholic background, and I don't mean to be offensive here at this point, but people in the Catholic Church are, are told to venerate the saints and, and are told not to worship them, but to venerate them. And, they, you know, talking with Glenn, who came from the Catholic background this week, he goes, that's a really fine line. He goes, what's very interesting in the Catholic Church is that, that when people tend to worship the saints, they don't stop it. But when confronted by other people saying, well, we're not to worship any false images, they say... Um, well, we don't worship them, we venerate them. So some people bow down to the image of Mary, to the image of some of the saints, Jerome and, and Augustus and others, that they bow down and they worship them. And so unless you come from that background, you're not really thinking about, well, what does it look like for me to get on my knees to kneel down and to worship something? It doesn't take much to turn to our society And see that we are on our knees worshiping things. And one of the things that we worship in our society is is body image. And, And today it may be super skinny. Tomorrow it may be something else. But there's this... This ebb and flow that Hollywood seems to dictate to us what we're supposed to look like. Teenage girls are in the bathroom throwing up, going to hospitals, sick, taking pills they should not be taking in order to keep a certain body image. And it's not just the girls anymore. The guys are also involved in it now more than ever, more aware of clothes to wear and jeans to wear and shirts and, and, and this skinny jean appearance and, and every, you know, this idea of being a man and just being skin and bone now too is, is this, this weird like thing going on. And I'm like, I see some of the guys, I don't mean to poke fun, but I see some of the guys in the jeans they're wearing and I'm like, how do you work in those? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, loading some wood or picking up, you know, help changing the tire. I mean, y- Yikes. And people do things, they're in the gym, and they, man, the, the CrossFit craze, I, there are some videos online, I don't mean to poke fun at CrossFit, but it's, it's pretty funny, some of these CrossFit videos that my, my son was showing me, and it's not a cult, you know, the guy's puking all over the place, but it's not a cult, you know, and I mean, CrossFit has a good point to it, but it, again, CrossFit can be turned negative, and if you're going there to, to be, you're literally worshiping at the CrossFit gym. And you've got to get cut up a certain way. And you want to look a certain way. And you're looking in the mirror all the time. Because you've got this idea, this image in your mind of what you should look like. And you're literally spending so much money on supplements. So much money on food. And and so much money on memberships in order to look a certain way. Social media is another place. As Glenn and I were talking this week, there's, there's this thing that we could worship on social media and anybody who have like friends on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that it seems like they're always on vacation (laughs) like every time you go on there they're they're doing another great like 
going to Hawaii, or they're going to Africa, they're going to Europe. And every time you're like, man, how do you like have any money in the bank account? You got to be really super in debt. But every time you see that, and all of a sudden you're looking at those things, I wish I was there. Man, it would be so, today would be a such better day if I was there versus here. I want their life. How do I get their life? How do I get what they have? The last thing that there, we could go on and on, technology, sports, power, and the last thing I want to talk with us is about this idea of personal freedom that we have held elevated to an idolic, godlike status. To be accountable to no one, that you're free to do whatever you want to do, free to say whatever you want to say. And that we're living our lives in this personal utopia of I do what I want, and if people want to come alongside of me and join with what I want, then great, I want them there. But if they don't, I don't want them, and that includes spouses, it includes children, it includes parents, it includes grandparents. This idea of personal freedom is hurting our society and devastating our churches. You see, all of us worship. Believers and non-believers alike worship. We all are out there, we're, we're identifying things in our lives that we believe in. And we're looking to them for satisfaction, for hope, for peace. We're looking to them for what we believe in. You see, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the only problem that, that, that struggled with this idea of false worship. And the people who bowed down aren't the only ones. And we may find fault with them. But I think in today's society, in this world in which we live, we are bowing down to some things. And the question is, what are we bowing down to? Is it body image? Is it technology? Is it social media? Is it sports? Is it power and position? Is it wealth? Is it personal freedom? What is it that we are struggling with this morning? The great news about this passage is we don't remain here. We don't remain in this group setting of bowing down to idols, but we see some people who are able to not bow down. We see some individuals who, though everything's on sta- at stake, choose not to bow down. And this is, if you've been in church for any length of time, You've heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Now, back in my day and age, a little age here, you know, Jeffrey, we're, we're the same age. You remember the flannel graph, Jeffrey? Remember, remember flannel graph, buddy? 
teachers in the Sunday school rooms had, had flannel on the board here. And some of you are familiar with this. Next service, I'm really going to have to go into detail explaining this. And, and, and then they, on the back of the, these images, there's, there's felt, and they put them on there, and they told the story through these, these cutout images walking through on the flannel graph board. And, and when we hear this story, we hear this story of a great, incredible faith. We, let's read through it very, very quickly here as we look at this. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the bat pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men... O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar is, I mean, he's crazy. Okay, I mean, you see this guy work through the, I mean, last week we, we saw him make this statement, and what's he making, as he's making this statement about how great Daniel's God is, he's saying, we're going to tear somebody limb from limb if they don't, if they speak against Daniel's God. You're like, what is that? He was furious. And commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, and if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Out of whose hands? My hands. Nebuchadnezzar is a self-proclaimed God. I think some of our idols scream to us in the same way. Seriously. You need to look a certain way. Seriously, you, you need to wear certain clothes or you're just not going to fit in or you're just not going to be accepted into a certain group. Who can ever deliver you from that? You're either going to be part of this group or you're going to be an outcast. We think of the, the social media. I don't want to leave my Facebook. I don't want to leave my Twitter, even though it's controlling my heart, even though I'm chasing after likes and I'm chasing after people to, to, to read my posts and, and I live my life because how many people liked me and how many people read my post and, and how much affirmation am I getting from the world because I'm not, affirmation from God is not enough. Who's going to deliver me from that? Social media is saying no one can. You like to be liked. And you like it when people read your stuff. And you love it when they tell you how cool that was. Who's going to deliver you from personal freedom? You love having your own freedom, your own right. God's not going to allow you to have such freedoms. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, you have no need to, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
drop the mic, walk out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Most powerful man in the world? We don't, have, we don't have to talk to you about this. We don't, we don't have to answer you in this regard. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar heats that fiery furnace seven times hotter. Heats it so hot that the guards who throw them into the fire are eliminated, are killed. What an amazing story of faith and courage, isn't it? And one of the things that I remember when I was told that story as a kid, I remember thinking, man, I want courage and faith like that. I want to I have faith like that. I wanna, man, I want to have big, huge faith like that because, man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exercised such faith in such a huge and powerful and a mighty way. They had such faith. And all of a sudden, as I've grown in my walk with God and as I've been studying God's word, I've all of a sudden realized, you know what? I don't know if that's good to look at it from that perspective. You see, I, I, if you would forward to Mike, I left my iPod there. I'm too into this. So this morning, if you would just, thanks. We're on, we're on that slide that talks about the lens of, of worship. There's two different ways for us to understand faith. There's this idea of, of faith that's it's like a muscle. And we've talked about this before, but I think it's good for us to revisit it again. It's, it's like I'm going to go to the faith gym, okay? And I'm going to work out at the faith gym. And I want faith biceps, so I'm going to do a lot of curls, Okay? I'm going to add more weight on to this bar, and I'm going to get really big faith biceps and really big faith pecs and quads and glutes and traps and, you know, all of it, right? Because I want really big faith, right? I want to have faith that can withstand these moments, so I, I'm going to build up this faith. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had this huge muscle-bound faith? And that's how they were able to withstand. Well, the problem with that understanding of faith is who does it make it all about? Me and them, right? I'm going to take care of things so that when I encounter those moments, I'm going to have enough faith. But where does Scripture say faith is from? It's from the throne of God. So, I don't think looking at faith is like this muscle that we have being very helpful, but rather I think faith should be this lens through which we see the world. You got some folks wear glasses. I should be wearing I've lost mine. I don't know where they're at. So um, that may be why I'm reading a little bit slower this morning at points. Um, but I'm telling you what, I put that lens down when I'm wearing my glasses, my readers. Man, that the word of, the word of God, the, the, the Words on the paper just, bam, they, they get bigger, right? 
Oh, I can read that so easily. That's sweet, right? The God gives us this lens of faith through which to see the world. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see the world through this lens of faith. Here they are standing before the most powerful man in the world. And they're saying, I don't have to give you an answer for not bowing down. How is that possible? Well, they've got this lens of faith. They're seeing this situation through. They see Nebuchadnezzar for what he is. He's a powerful dude. But just like we learned last chapter, he's a guy whose kingdom and his authority was established by God. In fact, in that last chapter, we learned that Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar, hey, the very birds that are in your kingdom are a gift from God. He gave you the authority to rule over them because he put you in this place, in this position at this time. All authority is given by God. And so seeing things through the way they are and behind and, and throughout this whole situation, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they see God as involved in control and he is king. And so they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to control and manipulate this situation. They can speak with such authority and such confidence because they see things for how they really, truly are. God gives them this ability to see things. And they pick up the lens and they put them on and they trust God. And I think about us in our locks of life. I think about me and my personal struggles with, with food. What I struggled as much this last year if I would have taken the time to put the lens of faith on that God so graciously gave me through Jesus Christ and saw food for what it is. It's supposed to be nourishment for my body, not the source for which I find my peace, not the place where I find comfort. Not the thing I can't wait to get home to and, and have hope in. That when we see the world, we, we see that we put that lens on and we see that personal freedom that doesn't lead us in our walk with God that are exercised within the, the confines of Scripture is devastating. It is hurtful. It is detrimental. We see that when we look at another person's life through social media and we're going, man, I want that life, then we're, we're not looking through the lens of faith that we're able to see where God is present in our life right now working where we are at. We always want that better thing. The lens of faith through which we see the world, the lens of faith through which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the world gave them the ability to stand firm in their faith. And in the situation we're in today, it's a hard day. For those that you read my letter this week, you recognize that I am struggling along with you and leaving here. This place is the first place I have ever pastored a church body. My kids, I mean, Ethan and Elijah and Catherine and Kira, 
You know, like I told you last week, Elijah making the statement to me in the car, saying, Dad, so much is changing, and we're leaving the building, and there's so many great memories there. We need that lens of faith in these moments. Because it, it's, it's easier to come here, and we, we see leaving here this week, and maybe in your heads like mine, yesterday I was struggling with fear so bad. Fear was like trying to like crawl up my spine. And I'm going, there's so much to do, God. Next Sunday, this is impossible. There's no, there's no way. All these details got to happen. And I got Glenn coming over and telling me, you're not that powerful, Scott. God's got this. He's using the body to come along. We need that lens of faith to see what's going on around us and in this place to keep seeing that God is involved, God is in control, and God is king. Amazing thing happens during this time in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are joined by someone else. Now, we can arm wrestle the theology here of who that is. Is it pre-incarnate Christ? Is it, is it Gideon or one of the, the, excuse me, one of the archangels, Michael, who's, who's with and joining in that fiery furnace? We can arm wrestle over that later. But what I find so amazing about this passage is that these gentlemen believed in what they saw. And because they believed in what they saw, they were put in an extreme situation. And in that, in midst of that extreme situation, they got to physically know the presence of God. How cool that must have been. And they got to experience that. And what's so cool in this, and then we can't forget this, because when we are experiencing the power and the might of God through that lens of faith, people are witnessing, people are watching. And the prefects, look at this, this is so beautiful. Then King Nebuchadnezzar rose with astonishment and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said, oh, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of fire and they aren't hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. Talk about a witness. Amen? Oh, yeah. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. More conviction. No conversion yet. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. And the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of the fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered up his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any, and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any nation, people, language that speaks anything Against Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, blah, blah, blah. Here we go again. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And here we go, another great example, the wicked heart of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
is even under the control of God as God elevates his people into power and position to be a blessing to Babylon, the blessing to God's people. But don't miss that one of probably the primary motivators for Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego to get elevated in position because who did what? Nebuchadnezzar want to surround himself but people of power? We see the incredible worship of the true God take place as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see the world through the lens of faith. And they get this incredible reward of experiencing the power and the might of God and being delivered from the fiery furnace. Some of you may grow tired and weary of me Talking, first of all, on idols. You're like, man, we just went through Exodus. We talked about idols so much then. Now here we are in Daniel. We're talking about idols again. And we've talked about idols when we're studying the New Testament. When is the idols thing going to be done with? I guess when Scripture talks, stops talking about it. But it mentions it over and over and over again. So if you're thinking you're going to walk out of here being cured from your idols this morning, not going to happen. This is a lifelong journey of, of seeing life through the lens of faith, so that we might identify and overcome our idols because of our faith in Jesus Christ and who God is and his ability to give hope to us that those things cannot bring hope to us. How? Some of you may be saying here this morning, okay, it's not a muscle to be exercised, but how in the world did Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, or excuse me, how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have such ability to see the world for what it is? Somebody once said that the act of adultery doesn't just take place before happening in someone's mind over a hundred times. Why? What? Where did you go, Scott? In order to see the world the way they saw the world, it means that every day when they began to get up in the morning, they asked God to give them the perspective, and they asked God to help them understand and see the world through his eyes, through that lens of faith. That when those thoughts of doubt ran through their heads, and again, young men, captured, taken away from their homes, these folks are struggling but taking captive those thoughts in their minds and holding them at bay. Time and time again, no, that's not true because the lens of faith, the world through which God has shown me says that's not true. Thought captive. The next one, thought captive. The next one, thought captive. The next one, thought captive. And it's exhausting. You'll go to bed at night weary and tired, but with a peace in your heart. Because you've spent the day looking at the world through the lens through which God has given us, the lens of faith. And what's crazy is that's what it looks like to worship God. Over and over and over again to say, God, you have this in every situation, in every thought. You are able to help me to take control and, and to see the world through which you have made it to be. That's what worship looks like. It's not just a Sunday event. It's not just a team but it's worship is something we do. And as we take hold of those thoughts, we see the world through which God has made it. We're worshiping the true God. So it's going to take practice. 
And it needs to involve other people walking alongside you. I know we're running long, but it's okay because we're going to take a picture at 1030 anyways. If you didn't know that, that's what we're doing. But I want to address one more thing before I close out this sermon. And some of you may be saying, Scott, you really haven't addressed the statement that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made saying that if God doesn't deliver them, they still won't bow. You're right, I haven't. But I want to address it right now. And I want to address it in this manner by asking you the question, why does God sometimes not deliver? Pastor Justin Anderson at Doxa Church gives a very helpful answer to this. The first thing he says is, God wants to let sin run its course so it can be seen for what it is. Why didn't God allow me to keep eating and not gain a pound? Come on, God. You're a good God. Let me just eat and eat and eat and eat and enjoy, 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 right? I mean, you gave me this food to enjoy, right, God? No, I blew up like a balloon. So that I could see sin and my sin for what it was. The second point he states is that to show us how weak we have become because we've been leaning on idols. To get a hold of our hearts. It's to break us down. So that we might see those things cast out of our lives to worship the one true God. And finally, the hard one. Sometimes he just wants to bring us home. My 31-year-old sister, body riddled with cancer, going home to be with Jesus. Why didn't he deliver? Because he wanted his home. Sometimes God delivers. Sometimes God doesn't deliver. But in the deliverance and in the undeliverance, from our perspective, let us have the lens of Christ so that we may always see that God is involved, God is in control, and God is king. Join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we're going to have in communion together. Lord God, I pray that as we depart this place this week, it would not be with fear, desperation, but Lord, with your peace. Even if it's with tears, it's, it's tears and peace, it's tears and joy that you are our God who's involved in control and king. Thank you for your love that sees us through. For your steadfast love truly does endure forever. In Jesus' most holy, precious, and wonderful name we pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.